0: Did everybody get one of these? If you did not get one of these, put your hand up and one of the ushers will bring one around to you. And we will be talking about that later on this morning. Um, If you would, go ahead and find in your Bibles John chapter 10 and Galatians chapter 5. So put your finger in two different places or get your back button ready to go to John chapter 10 first, and then Galatians chapter 5. So what are we celebrating this weekend, everybody? Independence Day. Today's only the second of July, people. Come on. Look at your calendars. No, just just kidding. Um, It's Independence Weekend. You know, we're celebrating independence 247 years ago. This nation was conceived in liberty. Um, 13 colonies banded together and said we're declaring our independence from the Empire of Britain pretty brave statement right say they had called for a Congress of Representatives from all 13 colonies and they forged a written document that submitted facts why independence from the absolute tyranny was reasonable Because I mean anybody can stand up and say I declare independence from somebody else right okay But the writers of the declaration actually gave us 28 different grievances that we had against the crown, against the King of England, of why we should no longer be under their authority. And so it wasn't just a statement I'm going to throw out there. We we don't like you anymore, King George. We're going to be independent of you. They put it down in writing and said, this is why we think we should dissolve the bands that join us together. Um, And I want to read the final sentence of the Declaration. How many of you have read the entire Declaration of Independence? Okay. The teacher in me says, there's your homework, everybody. Before the 4th of July, read the entire Declaration of Independence. It's not that long. It's not as lengthy as the Constitution, so let's start with that. Read the Declaration of Independence. Let that be part of your celebration of who this nation is. The very final phrase of the Declaration is, And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And 56 men were willing to put their signatures to that document. And so what they are saying is that whatever we have, whoever we are, we're willing to band together with the others that signed this document to see this thing through. And what is independence? It's freedom from control by others. And if you think back to prior to July 4, 1776, when the document became officially public, the, prior to doing that, the residents of the 13 colonies were subject to the British crown. They were governed under the laws of England, and they were under the protection of England. Okay. But it came to a point in history that those that we now call patriots or founding fathers said, this isn't right. What's happening, we're not being represented. I mean, most people know one of the grievances was taxation without representation, right? Yeah. OK. That's the most common one people know. But there's 27 other grievances that they put towards the King of England saying, your tyranny has to end. And they went multiple times and appealed to the court, to the king, and said, we need things changed. And what King George do? Put more taxes on them. Sent more troops. Didn't listen. So for 247 years now, the US has remained free and prosperous because our founders chose to form a government based on a document, not on the rule of man. And if you look through history, most of the nations of this world, most of the empires, were built on rule of man or a group of men. The difference and the reason that the miracle of the United States is still happening is because our founding fathers, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, when they forged the Constitution, there was a very heavy influence on the God of Providence, divine providence. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the God that we worship, the Father of Jesus Christ. Is the Bible has a heavy influence on the laws of this land, on the Declaration. You know, they they call it out right there and said that the divine providence that we're looking towards is who we're leaning on. And so the influence of the writing of these two documents gives us the basic structure of our government and why this thing is still happening. The title of my message is Let Freedom Ring. Okay, and everybody's familiar with the Liberty Bell there and the sounding of it to announce that the declaration had been signed and read. And, you know, it's changed the world. You know, if you ever like to speculate and think back, can you imagine if we had not declared independence? if we had just said we'll suck it up and we'll stay under the tyranny of the king, how different would this world be if we had just remained a colony? I mean, it's hard to imagine what would be different about this world, but it'd be significantly different. And so, part of what we have to be thankful for in this nation is exactly that, is that the Founding Fathers, that they didn't just say, we're gonna figure it out, We'll be continued to be under a tyrannical government, and we'll make the best of it. This church probably wouldn't exist, because the official Church of England was the only legal church, right? And the Anglican Church is still in power to some degree in England, but things would be so much different. Um, How many of you have heard of the Black Robe Regiment? couple hands go up there and you don't have a choice (laughs) the black robe regiment was a derogatory term that the loyalists or the Tories the people that were in the colonies that remained loyal to the crown is it was kind of like Yankee Doodle everybody's heard that one right Yankee Doodle Dandy okay it was one of the many terms that loyalists or the British soldiers themselves painted to the Patriots and the Black Robe Regiment was meant to be an insult and um, those that were included in the Black Robe Regiment were the pastors and the preachers that spoke out against the tyranny that they spoke the principles of the Bible and they preached sermons that said we must not have man as our sovereign we need to have God as our sovereign that he needs to be the ruler and the leader of our life he needs to literally be our Lord not the king of England not a parliament not anything like that is these preachers because they wore black robes okay I'm not gonna start doing that people (laughs) you get what you get Um, excuse me one of those men was James Caldwell who was a pastor in Elizabethtown New Jersey and he was known as the fighting chaplain and What would be known about this man is that he would come and he would preach sermons that we need to throw off tyranny, that we cannot be shackled by so many dictates of man that don't allow us to worship our God in a freedom that he calls us to. And so he actually recruited from his own congregation members of a regiment and that he would go and he would fight with them. He didn't just stay in the church and say, you guys go fight the battle and we'll see you when you get back. He went out and he fought with them. He would actually bring his pistols to the pulpit and lay them on the pulpit as he preached. He needed to do that because as a shepherd, part of his role was to protect the flock, right? And the British actually put a reward out for his capture because he was doing such a great job of motivating the people to stand up against tyranny. And so he fought right alongside his congregation and eventually, when the battles came to the New Jersey area, they used the church as a hospital to tend to the wounded. that sound like anything we we're talking about with P.F.? It needs to be a place where the wounded can come, where the people that have been wounded in the world, have been wounded in the battle, can come and get healing. And eventually the British, when the fighting got close enough, they, were, they actually came and burnt the church down. And just to show you how hated this man was, this pastor, is one of the British soldiers is quoted as saying that the only thing he was sorry about in burning that building down is that the black-coated rebel wasn't inside. That's how much hatred they had for this man and for what he was doing and the the stand he took for liberty. So turn to John chapter 10 if you've already found that. Give me a moment to find it. John, chapter 10, verse 10, very familiar verse. The thief, the enemy, he comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. (laughs) Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the enemy coming or the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches them and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known known of mine. So James Caldwell was an example of a shepherd who said, my sheep are valuable. I'll protect them with my own life. I'll go out and fight this battle with them. And so as we come together, we need to be looking out for each other. Because is the battle in here? Where do you guys fight your battle? Where is the enemy trying to disrupt your life? This is, you know, we call this the sanctuary, right? What is a sanctuary? It's supposed to be a safe place. It's a place where you come and there's protection here. And the word says, when two or more are gathered in his name, there he is. And what better protection is there than the very presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, hovering over us, ministering to us. And so part of the reason coming here on a Sunday morning is to come and find the comforter, to find the healer, to find the one that will set you free from whatever captivity you happen to be in, and to know that... In this place there's safety that you can bring whatever it is that's happening in your life and that you can lay it down at the cross and the hope is that you don't pick it back up and take it out here with you unfortunately we know that happens right is you come in and you've got burdens on your heart you've got things that the enemy has been beating you up with and say oh, I'll just need to lay them down at the cross and you do that But then you go back out into the world and the cares of the world, the turmoil, the storm that's happening makes you pick it back up. The fear that you have, the unforgiveness that you have, the wounds that you're carrying that have not healed because you keep ripping the scab off and not letting it heal properly. (coughs) So on July 4th, 1776, when we declared our independence from British rule, do you think the King of England just said, "Oh"? They finally did it. I'm sorry to see you go. If you need any help, let us know. We'll help you out, right? Have a good day. What'd the king do? Sent more troops, blockaded the ports, started killing more people. It took seven years past July 4th, 1776, seven more years of battles and death for us to convince the king that we were serious about declaring our independence. So just because you make the declaration doesn't it mean it just happens like that? Or is there still a battle that has to be fought? When you declared your independence from Satan and death, Anybody in here have Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Okay. The day that you first declared your independence from hell, join in the family of God, did Satan say, Oh, Jesus got another one? I thought I had him. What'd Satan do? Did he continue to lie? Did he continue to try and steal your joy? Did he try and kill you? Did he try and destroy your testimony? So even though you've declared your independence, is there still a battle you need to fight? Because Satan's not giving up just because you've spoken the words and declared your independence. He's looking to trip you up. He's looking to distract you. He's trying to do anything he can to make your witness go away. Because he's a defeated foe. We've all read the back of the book, right? Okay, the book of Revelation says that God's kingdom can't be stopped. But in the meantime, Satan says, you can say it all you want. But are you going to fight for it? We have authority, we have the ability to rebuke him. But if you don't know that, if you haven't repented of the sins that are in your life, if you haven't asked for forgiveness, if you haven't given forgiveness to those that have wronged you, the scriptures are very clear on that, that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you're holding back the authority and the power of God in your life. And so declaring your independence is a start of the process. But the battle's still going on in the flesh. Because does our flesh want what the flesh wants? Does the flesh want to be subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul said very clearly it's a battle. And if you don't subdue this thing, this flesh, you're going to continue to have more and more of a battle going on. The battle's also in here, right? Battles in the mind. That's why in Romans chapter 12 it says to renew your mind. To take on the image of Christ. To think like Jesus Christ. So that the things that you normally would meditate on or think on are going to be more Christ-centered if you renew your mind in Christ. And the battle continues on. Um, An example I was thinking of as I was preparing this message is, and I was asking a few of my children about this the other day because they all had to learn history in a much more depth than most people have to the Emancipation Proclamation we're all familiar with that right okay what was the Emancipation Proclamation for all slaves okay January 1863 Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation and The thing a lot of people think is it freed all the slaves, okay? It didn't. It only freed the slaves in the unconquered, if you will, areas of the south. And so if you were a slave in Mississippi, technically you were free because the Emancipation Proclamation said because the Union did not control that area, you're free. But the actual if you read the Emancipation Proclamation, it actually names very specific areas where this emancipation did not pertain to. And one of them is West Virginia. Because West Virginia had not gone <coughs> excuse me, with Virginia in the rest of the secession. And so any slaves, which there were very few in the West Virginia area, they were excluded from this because they were in Union-controlled areas. And so those, I'm going to use Mississippi because it's in the deep south. Emancipation proclamations issued, they're free. Do you think the slave owners told them that? They had to wait until the conquering armies subdued the rebellion, and then the news probably got to them. And so the battle continued for them. They didn't just get an exit, get out of jail free card. They had to wait until the rebellion was subdued. So let freedom ring, kind of the theme of the message today. What is freedom? Is it free? freedom to do whatever you want? No. No. OK. Loosely, that's what freedom means. It means you don't answer to anybody. But what we want to talk more specifically about is liberty. Is we have the Liberty Bell. We have the Tree of Liberty. We have the Statue of Liberty. We have the Sons of Liberty. You've all heard those terms. Is they didn't call themselves the sons of freedom. We don't have the liberty or the freedom bell. We actually have the liberty bell. And there's a slight difference in that. Freedom is a freedom from that's granted to you by another power, by a man. And so you can get freedom because the government says we have certain freedoms. But liberty is a higher level of freedom that it's given to us by God. And so we have liberty in Christ. That's why, again, in the Declaration, it says that we, ha- you know, that we have certain unalienable rights. And one of those is life, excuse me, they are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So they chose specifically, they didn't choose freedom. They chose liberty for a reason. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth and what shall happen to you. Okay, so when Jesus says that statement, you shall know the truth, who is the truth? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when John is talking here in chapter eight, he says, when you know Jesus, when you know him intimately, when he's become your savior and your Lord, that's where the freedom comes from. It's not just knowing that Jesus exists that sets you free. It's actually having an intimate knowledge of who Jesus is, and that's what sets you free. Think about Paul and Silas, when they were in jail for preaching the gospel and you know, doing the works of God. Were they free? Yes. In a way they were, because even in the midst of the jail, beaten and shackled to the walls, they had a freedom in their spirit yeah. to worship God in spite of their circumstances. Amen. So that's the freedom. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. In Christ, you're free. John 8, 36 says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So just kind of backing up that statement from verse 32, that if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Okay, Who is the Son set free? The capacity is there for all creation for every human being to be set free. But is every human being walking in the freedom of Christ? No. Okay, who is? Those who, accept him as those who call him Savior, those who have made him Lord of our life. That's where the freedom comes from, <clears throat> is in Christ only. It's available to everybody, but not everybody's accepted it. Because salvation's a gift, right? So when I ask you guys, Time after time again, who in here is a Christian? Who's accepted the gift of salvation? That's why I ask you to be active in it, is to proclaim it. I mean, we're sitting here in church, we expect everybody else in this building to be a Christian, right? Is that a good expectation? Okay. What if somebody that has never been in a church building before in their life, never heard the gospel, walks through those doors and sits right here? Do we expect them to be a Christian? Or are they looking for answers? Are they looking for truth? They're looking for salvation. And so that's why we need to occasionally remind ourselves is that just because somebody walks through those doors and comes and sits beside you doesn't mean they have a clue who Jesus Christ is. Because Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit has slowly been getting removed from our culture. You know, I'm I'm old enough. (laughs) that I remember that prayer in school was okay. You know, rural Pennsylvania, the rules of the world didn't quite reach here quite as quickly. I knew the Lord's I never went, well, I can't say. I never went to church when I was being brought up. I went occasionally. But the reason I know the Lord's Prayer is because our football coach had us say it before every game. No big deal, I didn't think that much about it. It was part of the ritual that before the game started, we would say the Lord's Prayer. It's in me, though. I mean, it was a ritual. It was part of the pregame preparation. I didn't have a problem saying it. It was fine. But because that was allowed back then, it was ingrained in my heart before I understood who Jesus was as Lord and Savior. So it planted a seed in me to prepare me for what God was going to do in me. Galatians chapter five. Everybody still got a finger in that one? Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage Think about that second part again Do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery as one other translation calls it Don't return to the sin of the Israelites If you think about the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness And wandering in a desert wasn't the most hospitable place for a million people to be roaming around, right? They started whining that they wanted to go back into slavery. They wanted to return to bondage because in their minds, that seemed more comfortable than the hardships they were facing in the wilderness. So when Christ has set you free from something, when he's led you out of your Egypt, and you're in the wilderness and he's forming you, he's changing your character, he's building your faith, don't start whining that I was better off in my bondage. I was better off shackled to the walls of the prison than I am in the freedom and the things that Christ is doing in me. Don't go back into Egypt is what that's saying. Do not allow the entanglements and snares to so easily take you back. Um, The things that entangle and snare us, it can be the laws. I mean, there's a lot of denominations, a lot of churches that have rule after rule after rule of how you're supposed to do things. And rules can be good to guide you. But if you're only doing what you're doing to serve the rule, then you're missing the freedom that we have in Christ. And the reason that Hebrews chapter 12 says that we need to lay aside every weight, every burden that we have inside us is because we have a job to do, don't we? You know the Hebrews actually says that we can run the race that is set before us. How many of you are, or in your past were runners? Okay, A few of you. Okay? Yeah I guess. Let's put a 100-pound pack on you and have you run the race. Can you do it? You can do it. But if we take that 100-pound pack off of you, how much better are you going to run the race? Okay. Unforgiveness, sin, wounds, fears, all the different things that we allow to remain on ourselves are burdening us and they're keeping us from running the race as efficiently or as good as we could if we would allow those things to be removed from us by the blood of Christ. So Jesus set us free Set us free when he died on the cross and salvation's a free gift. Again, we talked about that. You don't have to accept the gift, right? And that's what a lot of people choose not to do is I don't need Jesus in my life. Life is pretty good. And that's one of the problems, I'm going to say, in the United States, is we still have it pretty good. Would anybody argue with me? If you've ever traveled to another country, especially a third world country, we have it very good in this country. We have freedoms that most people envy in this world. And yet we don't take advantage of those freedoms that we have we don't remain strong in our commitment to run the race that Christ gave us, is that we've been put here to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors, right? And so if you're still burdening yourself with fears, with unrepentance, with unforgiveness, with not even acknowledging Jesus as your savior, then you're not running the race as well as you could be. So he bought our freedom from us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 says, He bought our freedom from slavery to sin and death. He bought our freedom with his blood and forgave our sins. That's how simple the gospel is. Is that there's no amount of time that we have on this earth that even if we combine all of our efforts, we could never be good enough to cleanse our sins from even one of us if we all try to pitch in on this thing. So Jesus said they can't do it. He said, I'm gonna offer myself up as a living sacrifice and I'll put myself on that cross so that they can be redeemed back into the family of God. And so that's why we gather. It's not just because it's something to do on a Sunday morning. It's to encourage each other to share testimonies like we've been able to do of how people's lives have been changed because they turned their lives over to God, how he saved their lives, how he's using them to build the kingdom and draw other people into it. And that's what I keep telling you. We need to be prepared for these seats to get filled up with wounded people, with people that are looking for help. Because the world has all kinds of answers for you out there on how you can take care of yourself or how you can suppress the pain. But what Jesus wants to do is actually heal you, make you whole again, so that you can become part of his body in a healthy way. Galatians chapter five, the second part of that, Paul warns us that once we've been freed, do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Don't be enslaved by laws and rituals. And so, coming to church on Sunday morning can be a ritual, can't it? That's just going through the motions. I don't want that for you. I don't wanna do that myself. Because if you're just coming here because that's what you do on Sunday, because that's what your family grew up doing, the encounter with Christ will change that mindset. That it'll take the things that you've done traditionally or ritually, and it's gonna make them meaningful. Because when you come here on Sunday morning, why we encourage you to move around occasionally. Sit somewhere different so you get to meet some other people because when you hear the testimonies, some of you connected with what those people were saying, right? And so now you've got a connection with somebody that may sit on the total opposite side of the sanctuary from you, but it draws you a little closer so that you know how to pray for them, so that you can go and say, hey, how'd you get through that? And they can give you the scriptures that maybe help them come free. But if we remain anonymous to each other, that's all we are in the battle, is we may not identify, well, that's one of my fellow soldiers. I mean, it's... Things have changed drastically over the centuries. But it used to be when you went into war, your enemy wore a different uniform. Okay, Not so evident anymore. That's right. Guerrilla warfare, terrorism, you know, all the things that you know, our troops are encountering now, police officers are encountering, is sometimes you don't know the enemy until they're already shooting at you. Is that true of our walk with Christ? Is our enemy evident, or does he disguise himself? himself. Takes different forms on how he's going to try and tempt you, how he's going to try and lead you astray. And one of the key things to that is if you know your scriptures, is it going to be harder for you to get led astray? Is it going to be harder for somebody to lie to you if you know what the truth is? So that's why we do the discipleship classes. That's why we sing the songs that we do, is to reinforce to you who you are in Christ and what it means to be a Christian. And so don't allow yourself to be entangled again. Don't go back into the yoke of slavery that Paul warned us. Um, I'm going to read verse 13. For brothers, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another." So we've been called to liberty with God as the author of that liberty. No man gives you the liberty. It's from God. And so don't use that precious liberty bought by Christ as an opportunity for the flesh and its desires. And it goes on to say, but serve one another, and in this the law is fulfilled, is that you love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you have neighbors? That are hard to love. <laughs> how many of you have? Well, let's, how many of you have neighbors you don't like? <laughs> don't put your hands up. <laughs> but if you were to treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated, would that make the relationship a little better? Yeah. Okay, that's why Christ said that. He said, "Treat people how you would like to be treated," and it may not make a difference immediately but it's gonna put a dent in their armor. It's gonna put a crack in the wall around their heart, whatever hardened them, is that by you doing things differently and not continuing to show your hatred for them because they encroached on your border, whatever it happens to be, is it easy to do that? Was it easy for Christ to hang on the cross? Keep reminding yourself of that. When Jesus asks you to do something, it may seem impossible to you. It may seem like there's no way I can do that. But remind yourself of what he did for you, hanging on the cross, willing to allow himself to be humiliated, to be beaten by lesser beings than him. His own creation beat him, mocked him, spit on him, and pierced him. But he did it Because his love for you was so immense that he said, this is the only way that can be done. I have to do it so that you can sit here on Sunday morning and be my family, be my representatives. Let's read in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's that battle. They are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Verse 18, but if you were led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You have a liberty that most people will never understand because you're not ruled by the law, you're ruled by the spirit of God. And is the spirit of God ever going to direct you to go the wrong direction? ever going to mislead you, ever going to lie, going to try and destroy your life? Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit's pleasure is to lead us into the things of God, into truth that we can't fathom in our natural senses. He wants to give us an understanding that's beyond what your senses can perceive. Back on verse 17, it says that the, f- the flesh lusts against the spirit, and if you're under the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. In verse 19, it says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, and so God in His infinite wisdom has multiple places in Scripture where He tells us what sin is, right? He doesn't leave it up to our interpretation, He doesn't leave it up to men to say this is what's right and what's wrong, because we've seen it to this day. is what's right now used to be extremely wrong decades ago right we're changing what truth is we're changing what's acceptable because we no longer allow god's word to be its own definition and so in verse 19 an example of some of the lusts of the flesh or the works of the flesh it says there are adultery fornication uncleanness lascivishness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envy murder drunkenness revelings and such like these which i tell you before as i've told you in time past that they which do these things do not inherit the kingdom of god so if any of these things are working in your life again how many of you picked up one of these everybody have one now I want to take the last part of the, this morning's time together for each one of you that is willing and wants to is to make your own declaration of independence. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set free those that are oppressed, and recovery of sight to the blind. So I want you to take this and fill it out. You know, I've kind of paraphrased our United States Declaration of Independence, that I want you to put your full name on there, make this an official document between you and God, the unanimous declaration of Richard Van Houten. And then go on through, and when in the course of life it becomes necessary for rich to dissolve ungodly ties which have bound them with whatever sin, whatever fear it happens to be that you want to put down there, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and all need salvation in Christ. We have been endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, among these are life. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus came that rich might have life and have it abundantly. Liberty, Luke 4, 18, Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the pursuit of happiness, Matthew 6, 33, I, rich, will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto me." And then I want you to, at the bottom, again, write your name. I declare my independence from whatever it is, whether it's fear, unrepentant sin, abuse, addiction, lies, pride, greed, lust, envy, coveting, confusion, gluttony, wrath, laziness, idolatry, murderous thoughts, Adultery, fornication, stealing, gossip. If any of those things is a burden on your heart, with the last song we sang is, Look into my heart, O Lord. Show me if there's anything wicked or offensive in there that I need to be cleansed of. Put it on your sheet. Declare your independence that you're not going to allow that to continue to be part of your life. You're not going to allow it to hold control over you and dictate how you lead your life. And this one I want everybody to pay attention to. This is one a lot of people like to strike from their Bible. James chapter four, verse 17. It says to the one who knows what is the right thing to do, but you do not do it. It is sin to you. If you know the right thing to do, and you choose not to do it, James says that it's sin, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So declare your independence. Take a few moments and write some things down. And I mean, obviously, you can write as many things down as you want that you want to break free from, because that's what the gospel is about. It's about breaking the captives free, transforming lives, bringing people into a right relationship with our Creator so that we can become the men and the women that He created us to be, to carry His light, His truth, to a dark and dying world that needs to hear it, needs to see it. It's not so much our words all the times that we're testifying with. It's how we carry ourselves. It's how we act when we're in public. It's how we act when we don't even know people are watching us that's a lot of our testimony also. So what we're going to do here in a few moments is, when you fill these out, stick them in your Bible. Find scriptures that will help you battle whatever you wrote down there. What I'll also encourage you to do is, if you don't know who Jesus is, your Lord and Savior, make this the day make this as the day that you find salvation in christ come forward and offer yourself up on the altar as a living sacrifice to christ and if you want bring these forward and continue the battle come and pray for a few minutes for a few you know moments whatever happens to be and ask god for strength for revelation on how to break free from whatever you've written down here and another example i told I'm gonna talk about the conquer class a little bit again. The conquer class is something we've done numerous times here now. And I can stand up here and say, I declare my independence from pornography. Good start, right? But if I don't go into the battle with a plan on how to win this battle, what's gonna happen to me? Next time stress comes into my life, next time turmoil comes into my life, i'm going to fall back into what comforts me what i use to medicate my pain whatever that happens to be so the conquer class is one of the plans that we offer guys especially that if you're fighting pornography in your life lust desires that are ungodly here's part of the plan that we offer you up that we can say We're going to partner with you. We're going to walk alongside you and try and help you break this addiction, break this struggle that you're having off your life. And it's not a quick fix. Just like when we declared independence July 4, 1776, the British didn't just say, lost another one. When you declare your independence from any sin, from any addiction, from any abusive pattern in your life, Satan doesn't say, I lost another one. No, he comes at you even harder, stronger, with more temptation to see just how serious you are. And Peter says that our enemy roams around like a roaring lion, right? So be sober and be vigilant. And part of being able to be sober and being vigilant is by having accountability with each other. And that's one of the big things with this class is that we sign a memo of understanding is that what's said in the class stays in the class you know i've helped lead the class and so the guys that have been through this class i don't talk about your stuff but i'll talk to you about it that's one of the things that we agree to when you become part of this class we say i'm going to talk to you and i'm going to ask you some very point blank questions because the struggle's real and doing it on your own isn't easy so just one example of the classes that we do the reason that we do them is because the battle's not over it's a struggle so at this time let's stand if you would like to or you need to bring your declaration of independence forward You can set up a time. AJ or I can talk with you about it if you need some guidance on it. If salvation is something that you've never encountered, the living Christ, come forward and let's make this the day that you start a new life. So the altar's open. Bring your declarations forward. Pray over them. Have an opportunity to talk about them. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you. We thank you that you birthed this nation 247 years ago and you've used it mightily to protect freedom but also to proclaim liberty to captives, to use it as a place where missionaries have been sent out for centuries. Lord, send us missionaries. Send out people that will proclaim your love, your gospel in the darkest regions of this country so that the foundation of liberty can be rebuilt, that the foundation that you established in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence based on your word will have preeminence again. Lord, I thank you for each person, each family represented here today. Lord, that there will be just a revival of love in our families, in our neighborhoods, and that the darkness will be pushed back because we allow our light to shine brightly, that we won't cover it, we won't hide it. We'll joyfully proclaim that I'm a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, and that your name will be glorified in this region, and many will be drawn to you. So we thank you for this day. We thank you for the celebration that we have and that we'll just remember, Lord, That apart from you, none of this is worth doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.